0: I think that there's a component of it of, you know, when you're bringing on a COO um, or if you're a COO going into a company is really, you know, spending the time to do you get a, you know, some sort of coach, mentor, something to kind of really help set the tone for the relationship and make sure you understand. So you're not trying to kind of learn and navigate once the pressure's on, because once a company's growing and that pressure's on and the pedal's to the metal, it gets harder to navigate some of those nuances between each other and have that communication that you need to.
1: Uh, You're going to love today's episode with Delaney Keating. Delaney gets real open, real honest, real vulnerable, talks about trust and vulnerability inside of the business relationship. She also talks about what it's like being a second in command of a company that gets let go. She has just been let go from the company that she was second in command of, was growing it for two and a half years. She gets real raw, real open, real vulnerable. She's also a former COO Alliance member, which is why she agreed and offered to do this episode For all of us to learn from. You're going to love the episode. You can also watch it on our Second in Command YouTube channel as well. Hope you enjoy. So Delaney, welcome to the Second in Command podcast.
0: Yeah. Hello. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. Really looking forward to um, to chatting with you. Very much looking forward to learning from you and, and for you exploring. And this is going to be a very unique episode where we really kind of get into some stuff around vulnerability and some stuff around authenticity and just really kind of throwing some shit out there, which is really going to be powerful for everybody who's listening. So I really appreciate you doing this. You were a COO Alliance member for a bit, and um, we had you scheduled on this podcast, and then you were let go or you're not in the role that you were in with a prior company. Can you kind of give us the backstory and and where we got to, to kind of to today, and then we'll dive in?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I um, have been a fairly iterative professional. So I'm never married to a job sort of full time, long term, right? I really love the build phase in companies in sort of startup or early stage. And so I was very involved um, in this last role in the build of the company. It was really incredible. And we got a lot of incredible work done in short order. Um, And that was really, you know, really rewarding. Um, And then where we are today is, you know, three years into working with this founder, you know, he had to make some strategic business decisions of which I'm not privy to. And I was the decision. (laughs) So, and, and that's okay. Um, I've learned a lot and, and we'll talk about it a bit more, but that's where we are today. And, and there's, there's good and bad and in all of it, right. Both personally and professionally.
1: Yeah, well, 16 years ago in Vancouver, Canada, I met with my best friend one Thursday morning at 7 a.m. in the morning, and I ordered my eggs Benedict, and he ordered a grapefruit. I'm like, grapefruit? You've never had grapefruit in your whole life. And I'm like, oh my God, you're totally firing me. And he basically said, six and a half years in, you were the right guy to get us to here, but you're not the right guy to get us to there. You know, you got us from 2 million to 106 million. You're not the guy to take us to the billion. And I started to cry, and he started to cry, and we both promptly fell into pieces. And he made me take a taxi home that day because I was unable to drive my car, even though it was a 12 minute drive. Um, I'm guessing it was fairly similar for you.
0: It was, and and I I knew that there was going to be a, a point at which my role would need to iterate or move on, and and that's always work that's been really comfortable for me. Again. I, there's a certain stage of development in which I really love working with companies. And I think part of what I've learned is that we didn't have enough of those conversations upfront. So the part that's been hard for me is I wish there could have been more of a discussion before the decision, because I would have been really open to like seeing that, seeing that other perspective and going, okay, how do we transition me out? Or how do we pivot my role for a period of time to make this smooth on behalf of staff and everything else, right? So I think those are just interesting things to to talk about. It's like we talk about, you know, kind of when people get married, and we can give that sort of parallel of, of marriage and this CEO CEO relationship, and we should have gone into the relationship looking at the end.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, when you were starting to describe it to me, I was thinking of a marriage in many ways that you know, some marriages are for a reason, you know, to move somebody to a country or whatever. Some, some are for a season, like for, you know, uh, a totally. year 10-year season of the life. <laughs> yeah. and, and some are for a lifetime. Um, but, some are very, for- but very rare, right, as well. And and I I have an ex-wife and then I have the sequel and now I have my best wife. And I was at my ex-wife's home yesterday and we were talking for 15 minutes, laughing about some stuff. And she was asking me advice on things. And We've co-raised kids together, but we've been apart for 11 years, but we had a great kind of extension after our, our relationship. And I, I agree. I wish mine had ended with more communication before versus a Bradley. So how would that communication have looked? Do you think? What would that, how would a CEO um, or a COO, because I knew, I, I knew for the last year of my six and a half years that it was getting too big for me. I was pulling my hair out. I was stressed. and Yeah. How do how do you start the communication? Who starts it? And...
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if it's on the CEO's mind, they start it. Uh, well, I mean, it can kind of go both ways, right? If you're feeling it a year before, it's kind of on both parties, just like in any relationship. If you're feeling it, then we're avoiding something that needs to be discussed, and and inevitably, you can look in retrospect and see the moments where you're like, I should have addressed something sooner you know, or or brought something to the table because I knew I could sense that he, you know, the CEO was kind of pulling away, not talking about strategy as much with me and, and noodling on some things on his own that he didn't feel comfortable talking about. And so that would have been that moment for us to say, hold on, just like we would with anything, you know, it's kind of having like, how do you set those really great sort of conversation and communication trigger points to go... We've changed our course. Our course has changed. We have to come back together on this for a second to understand what's going on with both parties and make the best decision for the company, which is what I'm always most interested in. Like that's what I care about first and foremost. Right. And that's where leaving is hard because you want to leave in a way that is supportive of staff. You want to leave in a way that is supportive of projects that are sort of open-ended that need to be closed because you care about all that. It's not even, it's not Not necessarily ego. There's a function of ego in it, but it's, it's really about care for the company.
1: Well, yeah, we pour our heart and soul into building something. And then all of a sudden, when we're exiting, we feel like it's kind of ripping off that bandaid in a weird way. It's hard. It's not like we didn't get hit by a car. We still,
0: (laughs) (laughs) we're
1: not really dead. We're we're still human feelings. So. Yes.
0: And in full transparency, uh, I've also been married twice and I refer to them as X1 and X2. They are coordinates on my personal learning curve. We're all very uh, amicable and good friends. So so I do think there's an interesting parallel in just looking at the depth of relationship you have in the workplace. You know, it's something we always talked about, like we spend 45, 50 plus hours a week at a minimum with these people. This is, this is real stuff. And I think that's that next level we're all trying to evolve to when we talk about, vulnerability and trust and transparency in the workplace.
1: How do you bring that in? How do you bring in, like, and again, I'm not going to, there's no point in replaying it to see if it could have gone differently, because I kind of, it feels like it was probably done, like you mentioned, maybe for the right reasons, but done in the wrong way. So, so the reasons wouldn't have changed, but Walk us through some examples of maybe how to build better trust or, or transparency or vulnerability inside of a company, whether it's the COO with CEO or CEO with their team or or COO with their leadership team members.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple different components there. I think if it's sort of the the right hand in the CEO COO role, I do think there's some some work to do at the onset of the relationship that probably sets the course for it. That it's easy to skip, right? It's kind of like. A marriage that vulnerability comes with, you know. If we don't write that in at the beginning, we're trying to write it in in reverse, and that's more challenging. Similar in a marriage, uh, you know, the depth of intimacy we have with our partners can only be as deep as the intimacy we have with ourselves. So if we don't have that at the outset, we're trying to write that intimacy in reverse. So I think that there's a component of it of you know when you're bringing on a COO um, or if you're a COO going into a company is really you know, spending the time to, do you get a, you know, some sort of coach, mentor, something to kind of really help set the tone for the relationship and make sure you understand. So you're not trying to kind of learn and navigate once the pressure's on, because once a company's growing and that pressure's on and the pedals to the metal, it gets harder to navigate some of those nuances between each other and have that communication that you need to Does that make sense?
1: Oh, very much. It's funny. I I talked in my book, The Second Command, about um, the CEO and COO needing to have date night, you know, needing to have time away from the kids, right? You need to have time away from the rest of the leadership team, and you need to do stuff for fun and just hang together. Did you do that with your CEO as well, or was that... Um, you
0: know, yeah, a little bit early on, and then we had breakfast together on occasion. We just didn't, it needed to be structured and kind of built in on a more regular cadence. Um, and it was too easy with the remote nature of things and travel and everything else to let that kind of go by the wayside. So sometimes you you lose sight of some of the most important things, right? And then, you know, when we talk about uh, trust and transparency and vulnerability with the rest of the team you know, there's other layers of the team, you know, that's stuff that for new teams, it takes time to build in. And so, you know, that was a lot of my work was, was getting that done and, and building that in the fabric of the company. And and while I was having incredible success with all of that, maybe giving too much focus to how I'm getting the rest of the team really gelled together and galvanized, I wasn't spending enough time with this relationship.
1: Yeah, it's almost like the the parent who's spending so much time with the kids, but they forget to spend time with their spouse, right? And then we we ignore that special relationship in that time. So I had a discussion years ago with the founder of Infusionsoft, Clay Mask, and he and I both agreed that a senior exec, mid to senior exec, which we both were in, it's very hard for them to stay in their role after the company doubles in size twice. It's hard to stay in the role for the third double. And then Ben Horowitz, who wrote The Hard Thing About Hard Things, said it's very hard for them to do after what it triples once, it's hard for them to do the next triple. So let's say that the company was, you know, 5 million to 10 million, and then it gets to 20. It's hard for you to stay in that C-level role to take it to 40. Was that part of what was happening Is the company was just becoming substantially different and you are more of that early stage COO? Because it sounds like you recognize that you have a really great zone of genius.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I knew we were on the cusp of that. I don't know that I felt we were totally there yet, um, but you know it, it was it was coming inside of the next twelve to twenty four months, and I was and also very comfortable to look at you know how does a role like this be clear about its open endedness right? We've talked a lot about how COOs every COO is different right? Every second in command is a different. We're a mixed bag. And all the different ways that we work, whether we're complementing the CEO, whether we're meant to, you know, become the CEO, all the different things, is that the role is open ended. So the role sort of needs constant assessment. And so there's that point: like, does that mean you leave, or does that mean you shift gears into some other role, and are you comfortable with that? And how do you make that happen fluidly? Because sometimes that, you know, that can be a tricky transition as well. But, but I think, I think it's just staying open to the idea that the COO role is sort of never baked in. You know, it's always in a state of flux.
1: Again, very similar to a spouse, right? Like as a as a, <laughs> yeah.
0: as
1: a marriage or a partnership grows, one couple, let's say one person's really working on their fitness and their health and mindset. The other one needs to stay in tune with that or all of a sudden you're out of step or one decides to get into more adventure and more travel and the other one doesn't want to. You can kind of grow apart instead of growing together. So it needs to be very intentional. Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. And, absolutely.
1: And super hard to do that. You, you mentioned that you kind of felt the CEO pulling away, um, you know, maybe making some strategic decisions without you. What would you have done? And can you give us like a specific, like, I saw this, I I wish I'd done X, you know, or I, 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 in the future, I would do X.
0: Yeah, in the future, for sure. Again, it's it's getting down to a willingness to have those hard conversations when they need to happen. And And always, you know, sometimes uh, it's addressing those things in your personality. I'm good at giving people space if I think they're, I can see that they're working on something and they need it, you know, but sometimes there's a moment like that where you say, Hey, you know, I'm feeling a little elfed out of the loop on strategy. You know, what, what can I do here? Where's, where's the breakdown? And, and also just being more clear. I think with everything we learn, you know, being more clear, like next time you would look at the situation and say, Hey, So, you know, I recognize you're working on some strategy stuff alone. Please remember you're never alone. We're a team. Also, if strategy decisions ever involve me, here's how I would like to have that conversation. And then I'm laying it out at the onset to say, if you feel like I'm at the end of my tenure or that there's something else that needs to come in for the company based on what you're seeing, I'm probably seeing it, feeling it too. Let's have the conversation because I'm going to be. Where I'm going to be most excited in that conversation is if we're talking about A, B, and C options for the future. Because, you know, really making sure that there's that understanding that the commitment is to the company.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. It, and it is a little bit of, again, I I don't know why I keep going back to the spousal reference, but, you know, hey, I'm I'm feeling this. Like, are we okay? What's going on? I'm sensing something. It's okay to have those discussions, right? It's okay to have those so let's say that you're in the COO role and you're working with, you know, someone on your leadership team, you know, someone a peer, and you're sensing these kinds of frustrations. How would you approach those situations with that trust and transparency? Do you have like a, a system or a methodology or would you just throw it out on the table or go for a coffee or, you know, how do you approach it?
0: Just with a peer is what you're saying?
1: Yeah. Like, let's say it's another one of the C-level members of the leadership team, like the CFO or the, you know head of sales.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, usually what I'll do is, you know, express that I'm, you know, seeing something like, Hey, this is I think we all have to be clear. We're all experiencing different things all the time. And so it's coming to things like, you know, here's, here's what I'm experiencing. You know, I want to understand what you need, you know, more or less better, different. And that's something I'm always asking of everybody, like what's working, what's not working. What do we need more or less of, you know, just constantly keeping questions on the table. And I guess that's the biggest thing is, and we, when we all continue to learn how to better communicate as human beings in every environment, it's coming to always asking the right questions, you know, being careful about our assumptions is what I'm saying. So before making assumptions, saying, Hey, this is, you know, sort of something I'm noticing or feeling, where do we go from here? You know, what, what is this for you? And, air that out so that they, so that we are careful not to be operating from those places.
1: Yeah. There's, there's a, um, there's a, there's an old, uh, like a saying or a framework around that. Like, this is the story I'm telling myself. Do you know what that is? There's something around, like, this is the story I'm telling myself, or this is what I'm believing. What, like, what's your side of it. There's actually a framework. I'm going to have to look it up and, and maybe I'll drop it into the show notes, but.
0: Yeah, I... I know what you're talking about. Yeah. that But yeah, it's that same. It's that kind of vulnerability piece. Like this is Story I'm telling myself. What's your story? Yeah, and like, let's just look at the stories side by side, and just be clear and objective about it without emotion, as best we can, right? To say like, okay, here's my story. I'm t- yeah, you're you're spot on, and I think that comes from a lot of, uh, I believe that's a component sort of of moving into communication from a place of somatic experiencing or kind of you know people that do embodiment work. That's that pulling that piece.
1: So vulnerability is a strength, but it can also be a weakness, right? Like when, when, when is vulnerability too much that you're then, you know, you're not strong enough, like you're coming across as worrying all the time or you're coming across being, (laughs) how do you see it hurting us in the workplace?
0: Well, yeah, I think what, what's happened with vulnerability and, and, you know, all uh, you know, gratitude and respect to Brene Brown, but these words sometimes lose meaning for us and they become easy to use, right? So it's that idea of talking about when when we think about vulnerability or trust and transparency, it's easy for us to put those words out there without unpacking what they really mean and how we choose to operate within them. So for companies, I think much like having, you know, a clear um, vision statement and your, you know, whatever your sort of code of ethics or values are is looking at what does vulnerability mean to that company? And you've got to kind of define it inside the relationship. And then we have the guardrails and parameters to understand what vulnerable vulnerability means in context in that environment. Because okay. otherwise, yeah, it's an open, open bag and we've all assigned a lot of meaning to a word that is probably overused sometimes.
1: And hey, you said something about the fact that you're very good at understanding kind of the stage of of a career or a company that you're good at and that you you don't look at at kind of jobs as a forever thing anyway. How do you have that mindset and still stay fully committed in a company? And then I've got a couple of follow-ons from this.
0: Yeah, um uh, it's 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 knowing that Because if you look at a stage in a company, based on what those companies, what the CEO's goals are, what the founder's goals are, it's it's usually you're looking, you know, it's going to be somewhere between three and seven years inside of a general stage, right? So for me, you know, three to five years is probably a sweet spot of what I'm looking at in time. And I'm pretty clear about that out the gate. I was clear about that with this role. Um, I like things when they're messy and scrappy. And uh, I like building foundations and, and kind of pulling all the pieces in. And I love doing things on that budget, right? So that for this company, you know, a great example of that was before I even ever took, uh, you know, a dime from the company, even on contract work. Before I came on full time, was you know the first thing I noted was that they needed a contract CFO. So pull that in, spend the right money where you need to. Let's get this thing going, and then once it's going, it's a lot of fun, and it's fun watching that come on. What people like me, uh, because of the way I work with creative problem solving is where I start to, where I get step out of my magic or out of my lane is when things are kind of more in uh, a maintenance mode, which is a different kind of growth.
1: Okay. So you're, you're good at that zone. You understand that zone, but it's kind of like dating, you know, everybody knows that that relationship is going to end at some point and, but it still hurts. It still sucks. There's still the, the aftershock or the, I don't know the the pain. You still go through those stages of grief. How how are you navigating the, those stages? What and what are some of the stages? Have you noticed what some of them are?
0: The biggest one is always the people, right? Like people and culture and teams. That's you know a really big strength of mine. Um, so. I do a lot of work in the way I raise teams to make sure people are becoming sort of really empowered and raised to be, become stronger inside those teams. And that's, you know, my greatest reward. Um, I trust that, you know, leaving this position, a lot of that has happened. So I'm very pleased with with where that was at and and how people are evolving in their own leadership. Um, but it's always hard to leave and and not feel like you had, you got to kind of say a a proper goodbye or the door was closed too fast right so that's truthfully the hardest part the rest of it i'm very okay with because i trust whatever's next in life
1: yeah i was i went through a stage of being angry that it wasn't done in the way i wanted it done (laughs) Uh, yeah and then it was also the kind of i don't know bewilderment or or just like wow like it really was just done like and then there's that vulnerability that I went through of like, you know, am I okay? And can I do it again? And was this just a one-off thing? Cause you know, we, we've done something pretty ex- extraordinary with what we, I was only number 14 and I left at number 3,100. Like it was pre- I was pretty nervous. And then I'm like, well, what am I going to do next? Right? Like, do I go find a job or do I, t- are you taking some time off?
0: I am. I am. Um, you know, I'm planting little seeds every day, but uh, my daughter also just graduated high school. So it's a big chapter. And my life. So this is a good moment for me to take stock about, you know, and, and what I'm looking at for myself is how do I transition away from uh, doing and more towards meaning and kind of pull in full circle the things that I care about in the world uh, to come forward a little bit more of uh sort of fully embodied a whole authentic self into whatever I do next. One thing I do really think in a, in a position like mine, because of the way I operate and where I like to operate with companies is I'm really well built to be more of like a fractional COO and that because I love raising people you know if I look at what's a better situation for me is probably doing my own contracts and working with companies that have a general manager or somebody like that in there already who they want to raise into being that person that next person and that's exciting
1: that's exactly what I ended up doing i took 4 months off after leaving god junk and uh, journaled every day 20 minutes a day didn't read any emails for four months, didn't talk to the business people for four months. Um, and then after four months, decided to start coaching CEOs and I called it back pocket COO that I was just going to be a COO in your back pocket and you could pull me out and feed me. And, and, um, yeah, it worked out great. And, and my, my clients were, were easy to work with and I was able to do only the stuff I loved and I got to work from home. And so you are surrounded by art behind you. You've got like, uh, I don't know. Fifty paintings, portraits, uh, drawings. Are you ever going to do anything in the art space at all?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm a I am a writer, and um, so I am spending some time with with that with myself. And and I think there's a component of it too, right? When we're COOs, when you have this moment, is just like you're saying. It's uh, a lot of what you've said in your podcasts over the years. As I've listened uh, to you, even before I joined joined the CO Alliance, was very inspirational. And it's looking at yourself, too, for a moment, because we get in behind other people's visions. And I think it's important to stop and and remember that you have one, too, You have, (laughs) even if you don't know what it is yet. (laughs) Even even
1: my vivid vision concept, I created a vivid vision for myself as a person in addition to the company. So I described who am I as a friend and a dad and a lover and a you know, a person and, um, you know, how, what are my thoughts around fitness and travel and vacations and work and balance? And I have like a five page description of me. So maybe that's something you'll get to work on. All right. I want to go back to the the 22 year old Delaney and give her some advice. Okay. What, what advice would you give the 22 year old just starting a mm.
0: career? <laughs> Man, I've had such a winding path. It's hard to say. What would I tell 22 year old Delaney? I would just tell her it's always going to be a ride. So, you know, it's, it, it sounds trite, but it is, you're just, you're learning to surf and it's just remembering, I think the most important thing, the one thing I would tell myself and, and I had to go a little bit of a long way to get to the answer, but something that really hits home with me right now is that we think we're free. And when we have a lot of choices in life and, Choices actually cause a lot of confusion and actually equate to confusion. It's when we don't have a choice, that the answer is so clear. So to really sit with yourself when you're making big choices to find that clarity. um, Because if you're feeling the pressure to make a choice, maybe you're not supposed to make one. Move in the world when things feel really clear and that that is its own kind of freedom. Yeah. And that was just, you know, a lot of the spiritual work I've done this month uh that's been really important and it's just to revisit how I navigate there how is I make.
1: there is definitely a book and some video content and stuff in there for you to pull out cuz there that's that's a huge in 290 episodes I've never heard anybody talk about that but um that's pretty cool stuff Delaney Keating, thanks so much for sharing with us on the Second Command podcast.
0: Yes, it's been great. Thank you so much Cameron for all the work you do.